Good morning, friends. It's so good to be back with you. Uh, this is Jason. I want to welcome everybody watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. I really enjoyed doing our little Sunday sermon a couple of weeks ago on Jesus the Mystic. And I just had a few more thoughts about all that that I wanted to share with you. And so I'm glad to be back with you today. Before I get into that, I want to mention that this little book has been such a gift to be a part of. Uh, Brandy and I got to compile the book with chapters from a lot of our friends. You know, when we started, uh, when we got serious into our deconstruction journey, we realized that the God that we believed in was very different than the God we grew up with and the God that our parenting methods were based around. And so we wanted to know, how do you adapt your parenting style, your discipline, uh, the controlling side of being a parent, um, the way you show affection to your kids? How do you adapt all of that in light of believing that God is exclusively and only love, non-controlling love? And so we didn't really find a book that helped us do that. And so we helped put together the book that we needed. And so many people have written in to say, um, you know, I've got tears just reading the first chapter. Uh, this is the book that I exactly what I needed. It's got chapters from Derek Day, Ben DeLong, Phil Drysdale, Matt DeStefano, Elizabeth and Christopher Aker, Carl and Laura Forehand, Keith Giles, Dr. Mark Karras, Joshua Lawson, Jonathan Puddle, John Turney, and December Rose Waddleton. I wrote the introduction and the afterward, and I'm really proud of this little book. It's really a labor of love. We got our first royalty check for this book this week in the mail, and that money is 100% going to providing counseling for neglected and traumatized kids through Counseling for Kids. So I'm really excited about what the money that's being generated by the sales of this book will go towards. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who've picked up a copy of Parenting Deconstructed and made it possible for us to help fund counseling for kids who need it. So thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of that. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, I'll put a link to the book in the show notes from this message. Um, so you'll be able to find it in the comments on the Facebook feed. You'll be able to find it in the show description on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast version, then you'll be able to find it in the show notes of the podcast. Also, I want to say a huge congratulations to my friend Matthew J. DiStefano on his now number one best-selling book, The Wisdom of Hobbits. And it's amazing. I hope you'll read it. It's got a beautiful cover. You can't really see the cover on the video very well, but this cover was beautifully designed by Rafael Palendo, uh, who does most of the covers for choir. And it's just a beautiful little book about living in the present moment, doing things that matter. Um, it's just fantastic. Uh, it turns out that these fictional hobbits have a lot to teach us about life here in the real world. So uh, pick up some wisdom from the Shire. And if you want more information about The Wisdom of Hobbits, you can find it on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. The most recent episode called The Wisdom of Hobbits is, I'm sorry, The Wisdom from the Shire is what we named the episode. Uh, you'll find that on the most recent episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast, and you can hear from the author directly. 
One last thing that I want to mention to you before we get into the message this morning. Good morning, Mom. I see you commenting on the Facebook feed. Um, Check out Rob Bell's recent podcast entitled That Was 13 Robs Ago. Um, It came out, I don't know, early March sometime. So it's been a little bit, so you may have to look for it. He may be releasing a new episode today. He does that sometimes, uh, releases an episode every Sunday. But Rob gives a really powerful argument against cancel culture that is really worth considering. Um, You know, sometimes um, a tweet will show up from seven years ago and we'll just say, well, this person said something racist or misogynist or homophobic seven years ago. And so we're just never going to trust them with our attention again. We're going to dismiss them and basically cancel them. And um, Rob has a really important argument against cancel culture in that episode that was 13 robs ago basically um the premise is we're all in progress right we're all evolving and people may talk to me about something that happened in my life that they want to talk to me about and my honest response would be to just smile and say that was seven jasons ago i've changed a lot since then uh you could really look back at things that I said, things that I did, messages that I preached 10 years ago. And that would not be an accurate reflection of who I am today. That's why when, you know, we go through a divorce or we have some kind of an argument or some big thing happens in our life that kind of defines who we are for other people, but that may not be an accurate, accurate reflection of who we are today. And so I think Rob really lays out the case very well that we are not who we were. And um, I hope that you will check out that episode because it really kind of feeds into what I want to talk to you about this morning. Most of us get really easily frustrated by those who remind us of who we used to be. Some of the people who frustrate me the most, bother me the most, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in you know family, whether it's in life are the people who remind me of who I once was. Now, I'm not saying that we're always conscious of that. But if you think about it, the people that you struggle to love the most, it might be because they are stuck where you used to be. Now, you may have evolved beyond that, but they haven't for whatever reason. And it's so easy for us to paint them as the enemy, but we're not really mad at them. We're mad at us. We're mad at who we used to be. Maybe we're embarrassed about who we were. Maybe we're embarrassed about some of the views that we used to have. Um, On the Messy Spirituality podcast, I give a lot of crap to Lola for being a former red hat wearing MAGA. But the reality is I voted for George W. Bush twice. I was very conservative. I was pretty entrenched in the Republican Party. And my gateway out of the Republican Party was libertarianism, which I'm even more um, regretful of today than my republicanism. So, yeah, we get really frustrated with folks who remind us of who who we used to be. Um, Most of Christianity isn't finding a way past this. Uh, Christianity really started, evangelicalism, excuse me, really started cancel culture. 
Um, you know, you maybe remember John Piper's famous tweet, Farewell Rob Bell, when Love Wins came out. Uh, because John was saying, uh, Rob is no longer in the camp of Christian orthodoxy. He's no longer one of us because he believes something different than what John Piper believed. And so John wrote a tweet dismissing Rob, basically disfellowshipping him from the fold for holding an alternate view. Cancel culture started in evangelicalism. Um, when I was growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, well, not really growing up, when I was coming up in ministry in the Southern Baptist Church, we had a national boycott of Disney before Ron DeSantis was a thing. We were big into boycotts. We would absolutely cancel organizations because they had a different view than we did or because they weren't taking stand for the values that we were espousing. Cancel culture is dangerous. I think one place that we stepped off the path of loving our neighbor and loving God as the purpose of our life was by getting so obsessed in evangelicalism with the death of Jesus that we totally forget the lessons of the life of Jesus. But that's where the real magic is. That's where the magic is. It's in the life, in the message, in the teachings of Jesus. And so we are going to look back. We did that in the last message on the mystic Jesus, Jesus the mystic. Um, and I want to continue that today because, you know, Jesus taught revolutionary things in the Gospels. and. Many of us have evolved beyond a view of inerrancy. I certainly have. I don't believe that the Bible is inerrant. I don't believe that uh, anything that is written by humans, compiled by humans, passed down from generation to generation by humans, is going to be a perfect reflection of what actually happened. I don't believe that God dictated the Bible. I believe that human beings, men and women, sat down and wrote from the best of their intentions um, something, but I don't think it should have ever been viewed as the word of God. No, the life of Jesus is the word of God. The life, the message of Jesus is the word of God. Now, there's a lot of commentary about Jesus' life in the New Testament. And there's a lot of foreshadowing of the life of Jesus in the Old Testament, but I wouldn't call any of that the word of God. And, you know, Paul really tried to help us with that, or at least whoever is writing under the pseudonym of Paul. Because there'll be times when they literally say, this is from me, not the Lord. But we take that same passage, that same verse, in which the author says, this is from me, not the Lord, and turn it and say, it's the word of God. They, they tried to help us, but that's what we do. We just like to turn things into objects of worship, and that's uh, not, that was never the intention. I believe Jesus came to teach us a better way to be human. I think that's what the whole son of man thing is all about. The ultimate human. Let's live that way. And I, I've, I've noticed a disturbing trend on social media this week. There's a ton of posts, especially on Instagram, talking about it's not all about happiness. It's about holiness. And when we dedicate ourselves to the pursuit of holiness, we will live a life pleasing to God, giving glory to God and all that kind of stuff. 
Well, I guess that can make sense. It can sound spiritual. If you're totally forgetting that the entire Sermon of the Ma- on the Mount that Jesus taught is about how to be happy. When Jesus says, blessed are you, that word blessed in the Greek is happy. He's teaching you how to live a life that makes you happy and brings joy to the world. God is not against your happiness. And I believe that that kind of teaching really gets us into trouble. And so what we've basically done in evangelicalism is we've ignored the life and the message of Jesus and just focused only on his death and then the resurrection story. But let's let's go back to seeing Jesus as a mystical teacher who had timeless wisdom that he learned from other spiritual masters, because a lot of this stuff existed before Jesus was born, and figure out what it has to teach us today in the lives that we're living. That's where the real magic is. You know, Jesus, in uh, one of the gospel stories, he goes to the pool where all these sick and infirm people gather around the pool. And he looks to one guy. I don't know why that one out of the throng that was there. Now, I mean, I guess Jesus could have healed several people that day and it just didn't get recorded. But there's one particular story that was written down about Jesus saying to a man who was laying on a mat, he couldn't get up for whatever reason. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be well? Do you want to get better? And the man immediately says, yeah, but I I do, but I can't get to the pool. I don't have anybody put me in and I can't get there on my, my own. The belief was that when the water began to stir, that it was the angels stirring the water. And if you were the first one in the pool, when the angels stirred the water, the divine flow would heal you. And so when Jesus asked this person, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? The man immediately began making excuses for why he couldn't be. I think a lot of us get stuck there. We begin making excuses for why we're living in the brokenness, why we're stuck. Now, listen, that man's infirmity, whatever caused him living on that mat was not his fault. And Jesus isn't shaming him for being in the condition that he's in. He's just asking a question. Why? Because sometimes we have to think about these things. Do we want to be able to evolve beyond where we are? Do we want to be whole? Do we want to live in the wholeness that is already there? See, when Jesus asked the question, it's because God, the universe, source, doesn't force themselves upon us. It's not going to force us to change without the yes. So I want to ask you this morning, do you want to be made well? Do you want to forgive? Do you want to be unstuck from where you're stuck right now? Do you want to evolve beyond your racism, beyond your supremacy, beyond the excuses? Uh, It's been well covered, documented in memes that, you know, your trauma was not your fault. Whatever happened to get you stuck was not your fault. The abuse that you suffered as a child, the toxic theology 
that led you to a season of brokenness. It is not your fault. The rut that we may be in is not our fault, but our healing is our responsibility. Now, I want to be really careful when I say that because, um, you know, it can come off as shaming somebody who has some kind of a physical issue. That is not my intention at all. And if you are dealing with depression, anxiety, y'all, I am right there with you. I deal with that on most days of my life, and it has been Jesus and Lexapro that has led me to having the best season of my life right now. And so, uh, listen, sometimes we just have to take the medication because God is in the medication. Life is in the medication. The universe, the yes to the universe is in taking that pill every day. My old friend Steve Austin used to take his uh, medication, his mental health medication, and he would take it like communion, believing that the Christ was in, with, and under the medication, and he would take it as a yes to God, that he wanted to be well. And so if you got to take your pill, take your pill. If you got to see a therapist, man, I think everybody needs therapy. I think I need therapy. I think everybody needs, would benefit from a therapist. Say yes by scheduling the appointment with that therapist. Take your medication. Quit that job. If it is a toxic workplace, and I know that comes from a place of privilege. I'm not saying you can do it today. Make a plan. What are you going to do? Are you going to put in 10 applications for other places that might appreciate you more? Do it. Say yes. Do you want to get better from where you are? Do you want to heal? What needs to happen for that to take place? Sometimes we get so focused on our pain that we can't see the solution. And so Jesus asked this guy, do you want to be made well? Because it's an important question. Listen, uh, when you hear those questions, do you want to be healed? Do you want to forgive? Do you want to get unstuck? Do you want to evolve? It's okay if your answer is no. It's okay. Maybe you're just not ready yet. It takes courage to admit that you're not ready to take the next step. That's okay. But you don't want to live there forever. Good morning, Coach Nick. I saw you just joined. Good morning to you, sir. It's good to see you, my friend. It's okay to not be ready for the next step. Admit it. And so your answer to Jesus in that moment is no, I don't want to be made well. Or maybe your answer is not yet. I'm not ready yet to forgive. I'm not ready to get unstuck from where I am because sometimes. The rut becomes so comfortable, we can't think of life outside the rut. The problem is, the longer we stay there, the more likely it is that the rut becomes our grave. And I don't want the ditch that you fell into to become your grave. And so just asking the question begins to change your yes, uh, your no to a yes, right? When Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Something rises up inside of us because you were made for wholeness. You were made to live in the shalom of the universe, the shalom of God. And so you, something rises up inside of you and says, yes, even if your body, your exhaustion, your frustration with life says not yet, I'm not ready yet. 
But when you get ready, when the answer is yes, the power will always, always, always be there to take you to the next step that you need to take. It may not be complete wholeness. It may not be the the miracle that you think you need in that moment, but the power to take the next step. Here are a few things that I've learned in my spiritual evolution. Number one, don't rush it. Trust the timing of God, the timing of the universe. You can't make things happen. Um, There are times in my life when it feels like I'm just trying to make things happen, right? Um, Recently, I... Uh, you know, everybody's living paycheck to paycheck right now. We're no different. I've been going to the plasma center to donate plasma uh, to get a little bit of extra money, not for anything dire, but we, we've got three kids in college and uh, we had some debts that we paid off. And so that's, it's got us um, living very tight. And so we're, we're fine. Don't, you don't, please don't email me, but I, we're really okay. I promise. But just to have a little extra spending money and take care of a few things that I'm wanting to um, take care of. I've been going to the plasma center to make a little extra money. And the first time I got a massive welt bruise on my right arm. I went back the second time and they blew the vein in my left arm. And I had an even bigger bruise that time. Well, I went again yesterday morning and had um, my, my blood clotted before it would even begin to flow. And so they, they said, you can't donate today. And so I'm driving home from this 45-minute drive to the plasma center thinking, maybe this is not the right move for me. Maybe this isn't what I need to be doing. Maybe this isn't the solution to this issue. And so sometimes you just got to trust the timing of the universe. You just wait. You don't force it. I started to get the impression yesterday that I was trying to make something happen that wasn't the right step for me. You know what it's like. You know, every time you go to a certain place, you get a flat tire. The universe has a way of telling us these things. God has a way of knocking on our door and saying, excuse me, have you considered there might be another solution? So don't rush it. Don't force it. Trust the timing of your source. Take it easy on yourself. Do not beat yourself up about the situation that you're in. Sometimes, you know, like I said, the pit, it's probably not your fault. Now, there are other circumstances in my life where I know that I dug a pit for myself. And so it makes me feel better somehow to wallow in the pit because I know I deserve it. I did something stupid and this is the, a stupid tax in my life, but take it easy on yourself. Give yourself grace. Some of us are mean and hateful because we don't have any grace for ourselves and we beat ourselves up so much. It makes us just mean and mad as hell. And we take it out on everybody around us. Take it easy on yourself. Number three, take it easy on everybody else too. Take it easy on yourself. Take it easy on them too. Listen, um, I know that when I, when I was young and immature, I lost patience with people really easily. But as I've grown and gotten older, I realize everybody has a bad day. And so I need to be willing to show the same grace to somebody else on their worst day 
that I would want to be shown to me on my worst day. Take it easy on everybody around you. Number four, focus on the next step. Not the end of the journey, not where you hope this leads you one day, but just do the next right thing. What is the next right thing? If you don't know, wait, ask. Jesus is saying, do you want to be free? And you say, well, Jesus, I do want to be free. Universe, source, God, Jesus, I want to be free. But I don't know what that looks like in this state that I'm in. So show me the next step. Break it down. Make it small. How does a mouse eat an elephant? One bite at a time. What is the next right thing? And do that. If the next right thing is putting in applications at other employers to get out of the toxic work environment, then do that. Put in some applications. You don't have to go on an interview if you're not ready for that. You're just taking the next right step. Maybe you can't forgive that person that wounded you 20 years ago. But maybe you can just take one step in the direction of forgiveness. Remember, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is not excusing what they did. It's not saying you're okay with what they did or that you deserved what they did. It's simply letting go of the hope that the past could be any different. And when we do that, it draws all that poison away. So who is it you're having trouble forgiving? And how can you let go of the hope that it could have gone any differently? Again, you're not excusing what they did. You're not saying you're okay with it. You're just saying, I'm choosing not to live in the past anymore. And I'm going to live in today. I'm going to do the next right thing by releasing myself from the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness, because that so often is where we get stuck. Number five, when you're tempted to be offended with somebody, and this happens a lot, especially on social media, right? There, if you want an opportunity to get offended, you're going to find one on social media. You're probably going to find one in your workplace because there's a lot of people there who, you know, probably wish they were off doing something else. Um, but so if you're tempted to be offended with somebody, remind yourself that most likely not too long ago, at one point in your life, you were just like they are. I'll be honest with you. The folks who annoy me the most right now, especially on social media, are the people defending Donald Trump. The folks who are just saying, I mean, you know, this week, I'm dating the message, I know, but this week, Donald Trump posted on social media that he expects to be arrested on Tuesday. And let me tell you, folks, he's done a lot of things worth getting arrested for. And so I believe, I don't think locking people in a cage really helps anybody, but if anybody deserves to be arrested, then that he probably does. Um, and he's asking for folks to defend him by protesting because we learned absolutely nothing from January 6th. Those are the folks that frustrate me the most, the Donald Trumps and the people defending him. But again, like I said, 10 years ago, that was me. I didn't have a red hat. 
That wasn't a thing yet then. But I was Mr. Super Conservative. I was Mr. Yeah, yeah, go America. I wanted, you know, Jesus to come and be, you know, the president of America and run America based on biblical values. That's Christian nationalism. And that's exactly what I wanted 10, 15 years ago. And I would vote for the Republicans because they would say, we are the godly party. We care about God. We care about the Bible. Now, I, I've, I've evolved beyond all of that at this point. And uh, I, I've repented of my nationalism, my Christian nationalism, and my white supremacy that says we got to keep the white folks comfortable, um, even if it means pushing minority groups down even further. I've repented of all of that. So some of the folks that annoy me the most are the folks who are exactly where I was 10, 15 years ago. Thank God I've evolved and changed. I moved past that. Hopefully they will too. But they're not going to evolve. People change. People do change. I didn't think back then I was going to change, right? When I first started preaching a grace for all message, some of the people who were the strongest in their pushback on social media, a couple of years later, started preaching that grace for all message themselves. I think we're all a little more uh, universalist than we used to be, right? We, I think we all realize that we got to give ourselves grace. And if we give it to ourselves, we ought to give it to everybody else. And so um, I think that's a good thing. I think we're all going to evolve, but nobody evolves because we point a finger of shame at them and condemn them and write a social media post about how wicked and awful they are. People don't evolve that way. People evolve in an atmosphere where it's safe to admit the struggle, where it's safe to say I was wrong. And so as kingdom people, as, as representatives of the source as uh, people following in the tradition of the mystic Jesus, we need to not be pointing fingers at people. Absolutely condemn the system that isn't broken. It was built this way. Absolutely condemn the institutions. Absolutely condemn the corporations that are driving our environment um, downward but be really careful about pointing a finger of shame and condemnation at that person beside you. You see, religion, cancel culture, it will have you turning people who are your brothers and sisters into enemies that you should fear. Uh, part of following in the tradition of Jesus, the mystic, is we don't fear anybody. And that taking away the fear really takes away a whole lot of the condemnation. I'm not going to live there anymore, and I don't have to. Thank the Lord. Uh, this is why Jesus didn't buy into cancel culture. You know, they, they brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. So the story goes. Um, my first question is, where's the guy? Why are we... Why are we um, <laughs> only bringing the woman to account for this great mortal sin, and where's the man who was involved? So the sex police are out looking in people's windows, and they find a woman 
She is the weakest of their culture. She's a woman who has been branded with that scarlet letter. She's thrown at the foot of Jesus. They tell her what the law says. Now, when they say the law, they're not talking about Roman law. They're living on a Roman occupation. They're talking about the law of God. They're talking about the Old Testament demands that this woman be stoned to death because she was caught in the act of adultery. If you've ever wondered how Jesus would respond to a death penalty case, this is it. She was condemned to die under the law of Judaism. And Jesus looked at her and then he looked at them and said, okay, you're right. That's what the law says. You without sin cast the first stone. Jesus knew that people are more than their current circumstances. He knew that nobody should be branded for the rest of their life based on the worst things they've ever done. Remember, mystics see in whole, not in part. Jesus saw the big picture. When we have eyes to see, we'll know that the person in front of us isn't the problem. They may be involved, but the real problem is a lot bigger than any one person. It's that system, that brokenness. The problem here was a system that saw this woman as disposable, that saw her as inferior, that saw her as weak, that saw her as fallen. And Jesus loved her. He met her where she was. It The, the story literally talks about him getting down on the ground and writing something in the sand. I wish I would have, I wish I could have been there to see what he wrote in the dust. But all those people dropped their rock. Maybe he was listing out the sins that they'd all committed. They dropped their rocks and they went home. He didn't condemn her. He met her where she was. Why? Because we've got to leave room for people to take the next step, to grow out of where they are. We've got to leave room for others to evolve. Nobody feels safe to evolve in an atmosphere of finger-pointing, name-calling, and blame. Debate the issues if we must, but we should never, never, never demonize people under the influence of the lies that keep them stuck. The lie that this woman believed, if she believed one, we don't really know that. The story doesn't tell us. The lie was that she wasn't loved as she was. Maybe she was looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't want to judge her to say that. But uh, the, the system was broken. The system saw her as disposable. That was the lie. God, source, the universe, loves us where we are. And so when we will meet people where they are and love them as they are, it creates an atmosphere where it's safe to evolve. In a time when the truth of the human reality is so difficult to find, the love, the belovedness of every single one of us who are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, that is the truth of the human condition. But it's so hard to find that. In a time when it's so hard to find that truth, be a living example of that truth to your culture. I don't know what that looks like in your context. Maybe it's being somebody who is forgiving. Maybe it's being somebody who's just unoffendable. You don't have enough ego to get offended. 
You just let all of that stuff just slide off like water off a duck's back because that is not who you are. You are not a person who chooses to be offended. Be somebody who accepts others as they are and where they are as a beloved child of God. Be somebody who knows they're loved. Know that you're loved and that you are actively becoming loved. That when you take that next right step, love is going to pour through your life in a greater volume than it ever has before. Be somebody who sees the whole of humanity, the whole of the human condition, not somebody who's obsessed with the parts of humanity that most frustrate them. We spend so much of our time talking about what's wrong that we totally miss what's right. There is so much good happening in this world, and I want to be a part of it. But that means identifying where God is moving, identifying where the universe is saying yes to people and bringing them out of the pits of despair and being a part of that, accepting them, loving them, forgiving, uh, not refusing to be offended, refusing to get caught up in any of that garbage and just be a vessel of love to your context. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever that next right step is for you, do that. I'm going to post the video of this message with some recommended reading on the blog. You'll be able to find that at messyspirituality.org. Thank you so much for being with me today. I hope this has meant something to you. If it has, please let me know. Um, if, if I don't hear from people that this was meaningful to them, I don't generally get in a hurry to do another one. But when folks will take the time to write and say, hey, that really meant something to me. I got a great message from my old friend, Bob Keefe, um, just a week or so ago that said, hey, I really, that, that message on Jesus the mystic really mattered to me. And so that made me want to do this one. So I'd love to hear from you if, that, if this one meant something to you, if it helped you in some way. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a great day today. Look for the next right thing in your life and do that. Y'all have a great day.